All right. Well, let's begin by a little bit of review. What is our only hope in life and death? Somebody want to think they can tackle it? That. Kathy's got it. That. First word. <laughs> Wesley, give it a whirl. Both in life and death. Help him out. To Very good. Good job. Let's read it together. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good job. How many of you are able to get the app? Got a couple people to put the app on your handout there. I have a link that you can go to with your phone. And they have Android and Apple apps that will put the catechism on there. It has each question. It has it. If you go up in the right-hand corner, there's a little settings icon. You can go there and turn on the children's mode. And that actually reduces the question to that we are not our own but belong to God. In today's question, you're going to be like, I think we're going to go for the children's memory, <laughs> children's version, because it's a lot. But we can do it. We can do it. Um, the other cool thing about the app, you've got a, in the lower right-hand corner, there's an icon for a prayer that is written based on that catechism question. The middle icon has a devotional um, with a little bit of something from a church historian and somebody from modern. And then the left, question, left icon has like a, the, where's the scripture this comes from? All right, how many of you know what our slogan is at this church? Not, don't, don't answer it, Matt. We are idiots. That, that is one of them. We are idiots. That is one of them. That is one of them. We are idiots. Yeah, you're getting, that's, not the, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Charity's got it. Charity's got it. A little church with a big view of God. Exactly. That was from years ago. That, that was, for those that don't know, that was from our study on Ephesians. Got it. The first chapter of Ephesians. That would, right? Studying the first chapter of Ephesians oh, would you give you a huge God. view of God. And we were a really little church doing really big theology, so the little church with a big view of God is stuck. There you, that, makes, that makes complete sense. Well, we're still little if you want to get comparing to other churches but we want to have a big view of God and I guarantee you this question that we're going to study today will help us expand that view of God that we have so I'm going to take issue with the first part of the question Um, the first the question is what is God and I personally would write it who is God but I get what they're doing because God, if we think about God, he is a triune God that has three persons in one being, right? And we'll get into that in another question. But God, there are three persons. So we can still say, what is God? What is God like? That's what this question's getting at. So let's read it together out loud, and then we'll dig in a little bit. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. 
Nothing happens except through him and by his will. How many of you are like, I think I'll go for the children's version today? <laughs> I, I don't. In the bulletin, I do. Um, but here's the thing. It says, I think in the children's version, it's God is the creator and sustainer of everything. God is the creator of everyone and everything. Oh, there we go. God is the creator of everyone and everything. Yeah. Right? Like, I got that one memorized. Split the differences. <laughs> split the differences, do half of it. I think we can do it all, okay? So, um, some of you weren't able to be with us last week. Here's my pattern for how we're going to learn these every week. We're going to obviously review, like we just did. I'm going to ask them three questions What does it mean? So, what does that mean? So, we'll be here for a couple hours. <laughs> Uh, the second question is, uh, where do we get this from? Like, okay, we didn't just make this up. This comes from the Bible somewhere. And then the third question is, why does this matter? So I, I want to keep it simple. And um, sometimes when we cover things in the Bible, there's just no way to make it super simple, is it? Because this is a very big God. So let's just, just break this down a little bit. When, it, when we think about what does this mean, I was going to ask children, and the only child really in the room is you, Wesley, so you're on again. When we say God is the creator, what do we think, what does that mean that he's creator? He's created use a word that doesn't use the word in it. Because you're right, but try, what does it mean to create? To build. To build, Right. What other words would you put under creator? If you're going to tell somebody, what does it mean to create, Matt? To make ex nihilo. Ooh, to make ex nihilo. He's using the fancy words. Designer. Designer. Fabricator. Fabricator. Ah. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. Out of, right. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. To say that God is the creator, he made, he built, he designed, he fabricated with no materials. He just, Todd's building this cool welcome center at, at First Baptist, and it's, it's going to be really cool. And he got to go from design, he showed me like the, the drawings, to building it all out, guy, buying, buying the materials. He's a creator, but not this kind of creator, because it went from God's head to his mouth and made it so, right? That's what this means. He's the creator. Um, sustainer. What does it mean that he sustains? What does it sound like it means? Keeps us going, right? How do you sustain things? How do you sustain your, the, the equipment in your home, like your furnace and push the pedal? Oh, the sustain. Oh. <laughs> What's that? You feed it with fuel, right? God has to, in order for you to live and your heart to beat, he has to make sure that it is constantly fed with what it needs. He continually sustains. So everyone and everything, that's everything. <laughs> I can't get any broader than that. There is nothing that God did not create and does not sustain. He, everyone and everything. Okay, that's easy. Now let's talk about eternal and infinite. He's eternal and infinite. Um, when did God begin? 
I'm getting some head shaking like he didn't, right? That's what eternal means. He never had a beginning. Never. We read Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God did something. Well, that means God was already there. (laughs) Crazy, right? But eternal is kind of God's, when we talk about God, we're describing God. That's in reference to time. Infinite is the way we talk about God in reference to space. And I don't mean like outer space, but that is part of it. But I mean like dimension, spatially. So we talk about eternity with God in terms of time. And infinite is his, what he fills. God is everywhere. He fills heaven and earth. That's infinity. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit more. Unchangeable. Now, I like how they've worded this, that he's unchangeable in power, and he starts to list off some things, right? Some certain characteristics about him. So it says that he's unchangeable in his power, his perfection, goodness, glory, wisdom, truth, and justice. And there's some other things that we could list there. That isn't a list of everything that God is. But it is saying that in those things, for sure, he's unchangeable. So... um, Does this mean, when we say that God's unchangeable, that he ever stops doing one thing and starts doing another, that he can't do that? No. We know that God does one action, and then he'll start another action. He'll do this thing. He's changing in what he's doing. That's not what we mean by unchangeable. Okay? Unchangeable... I can go from a happy-go-lucky dude to a depressed dude to an angry guy in probably a little bit of time, right? Um, when we say that God is unchangeable, and, and when, when you think about me as a person doing that, that means there's some changeability in me, right? That I can be stop being happy and stop. Start being angry. God is always, his character does not change. Interestingly, he can constantly be angry at something and constantly be happy. And he is constantly happy in himself. And like, wait, wait, how can somebody be angry and happy at the same time? Well, you're not God and I'm not God. (laughs) So we, we can't do that. But he is unchangeable. And you can... You can know that from reading various texts that just show us that he's always this. He never stopped being who he is in his character. All right. Oh, that's Denise. I'm just trying to, I was supposed to keep an eye on the door and Gene just walked out. So I don't know if that means somebody came in or not. So, okay. God does not change in his ability. He never decreases in his power or increases in his power. He's never, we talk about, and we're gonna, one of our coming up questions is about making God glorious, like what our purpose is. God's glory, how amazing he is, never decreases. We can't actually make God more glorious. Like, so when we talk about, in a couple of weeks, make glorifying God. We can't actually make God look any better than he already is. But, as we'll learn next week, we can draw attention to it. That's what we'll mean about that. But my whole point on, uncha- on this conversation right here is that God never stops, never decreases, 
or increases in his love. Mm, That's a good thing to think about. He never decreases his love for you. Never increases. It's always on at the max throttle wide open. That's awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> this last phrase, and we're just trying to break it down. What does this mean? Okay. And I, like I said, um, we could talk about all of those a lot. All of those characteristics <laughs> in there a lot. I have in my library a section on just the theology about God himself and his character, and it's a shelf of this many books, and that's just the ones that I wanted to buy. There's lots of things we could think and say about who God is. But this last one is the tricky one, isn't it? How many of you go like, I, I'm uncomfortable sometimes when I read this. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. I can, I'll raise my hand. I, it's a little troubling sometimes to me. Right Now, we can be troubled by statements like this. That doesn't mean we have to disagree with it. And our, our, our heart wants to kind of disagree with it because of maybe bad things that have happened to us or other things. But we're going to see it's in God's word. And it actually can be something that can give us confidence. And we don't have to have our heads wrapped around it and fully get it all. And that's okay. So questions before I move on to the next question about where do we get this from as far as meaning. Matt. This isn't really a question, but and, and, and I'm sure that we're probably going to, and I haven't looked at your scriptures yet, but I'm sure we're going to get into this. I wish they would have added to the end of that nothing happens except through him and by his will. I wish they would have added a through him and for him. Yeah. Because Colossians one seventeen. Yeah. right, says that specifically, so I don't want to jump ahead since I'm sure you Do I have, I actually, yeah, that's actually the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the next one. Yeah, because if you go to one sixteen, it says all things are created through him and for him. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, he didn't just do it. I mean, the fact that you hold, like he sustained you, he's holding you together. That's not just, he's not just doing it. He's doing it for a purpose, and the purpose has everything to do with him. Right. Not separate from him, but him. With him, exactly. My purpose is apart from him. Everything goes back to him. Exactly. Any other comments or questions on the meaning? Like, what do those words mean? What's it talking about? Man, you guys are awesome. Come on. All right. All right. Well, that's okay. Let's actually go to this next question. Okay. Thank you. So the second sentence, he's eternal, infinite, unchanging. Okay. So from your chair... Is it, sometimes I don't want to look straight at that for very long. You know, you say like, God doesn't have, God has always been. Now, if you look at that for a minute, it mm-hmm. kind of creates a chaos in your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Mm-hmm. So is that something that looking at, at that for a long time is going to benefit me? And I've been just scared to do it? Or do you know what I mean? I do. In fact... Some people, some mystics have written in the, uh, the medieval era about what happens when they contemplate that yeah, for a long period of time. You, your, your brain starts to go, I, I actually would say it's a good thing for you. Okay. But it's a little bit like, um, <laughs> I can come up with some really bad illustrations, but like pushing yourself to a limit. So you're like, I can't handle this anymore. In fact, one of the first classes I had in seminary was with this very unique guy, that uh, Dr. Macagina. 
he would wear gloves in the classroom. He was like always freezing. Um, he'd say and do the weirdest things, but he introduced us. So we had to go through just some blech kind of stuff. Like we were having to talk, look at some people believe that the Old Testament was like the book of Genesis was written by multiple authors. And you're like, wait, wait, Moses wrote it. I know, you know, it's what the Bible even says. And, and having to wrestle with some hard things. And he said to me, he said, sometimes when you get into this, it's going to start shaking your faith a little bit. And you're going to be like, what do I do with this? And he was referring not to those tricky things, but hard things about God. He said, when you encounter that and you've pushed up against to it, up against it to a limit that you can't handle very well, said, just take it and put it in the freezer because it'll thaw out. You can take it out, thaw it out later and go back to it. And and I thought that was really helpful because I think it's good to push on that because we need to be overwhelmed. We need to be overwhelmed like Isaiah was when he sees the vision of the glory of God in Isaiah 6 and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. That's a good thing for us, right? In fact, we're gonna, when we get to the what is, why does this matter, we're going to get into this a little bit. Like, why do I need this? Also, I'll hang on to that. The good thank you. Well, and I, I know that because I, if I'm thinking about some of my unsafe friends. If we started off with looking straight at, there was never a beginning mm-hmm. to God. They would be like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? But I, I think when I look at it, I start to get uncomfortable the longer I look at it and try to wrap my brain around it. But I remember reading Joni, uh, Joni Erickson Tata one of her books said, and it has helped me, like, would we really want a God that we can manage in terms exactly. and in concepts? With our little brains, do yeah. we want a God that we can manage, or, or or can we become more comfortable with a God that's much, much, much bigger than what we can manage in mm. our heads? That's the kind of God I want. I was just driving here this morning and hearing that. about the the growth of the um, Iranian church, you know, Iran right next to Afghanistan. They have grown in estimates right now. There's 10 million Christians in the country of Iran. That's awesome. They've been the the imams and them are getting very troubled by this growth. And when they start to interview some of these new Christians, they're why are you going to Christianity? Is because they the persecution. Actually, when they see that these Christians are dying and willing to die for something that isn't a hundred virgins in heaven, which is what you know Islam would teach, why somebody be willing to die, and they see that that actually has prompted their conversion. And you have to go a little bit deeper. Like, well, wait, it can't be that simple. It has to be a God that is worth dying for, <laughs> right? What were you going to say? You had your hand up. Well, I was going to say. Uh you mentioned uh, like unsafe friends, but I think that sometimes even <clears throat> those who are lost, they're they're grappling with this question and they don't even know it because yeah. it, one of my favorite examples is uh, there was a movie came out not that long ago called Prometheus, and uh, it's there's actually a movement in the scientific community that the life that's here on Earth they've just looked at its complexity and said, well, it must have must have come from someplace else. But in that movie, they, they, so they start tackling that, and they go, well, maybe it came from, maybe these aliens came, and they, but, but then somebody in that, that says, but where'd they come from? And that's really, 
you know, because you get people doing that same thing with the Big Bang Theory. They go, well, this came from this, and this came from this, and this came from this. And they get back to this, well, where'd that come from? And, and that's what, you know, Aristotle, he's like, he, he at some point, you've got to have something that starts it all. And that something has to have, has to be a person. Yeah. Because if it's just a something, then nothing gets it going. Right. But if it's a person, because you have the will to get it all going. And that's ultimately, everybody's got to deal with that question eventually. Yeah. Where'd that, where'd that come from? And if somebody goes, well, God, how could he not have had a beginning? He must have had a beginning. I would say, well, if he had a beginning, then whoever made him, that's God. <laughs> but the great thing is exactly. the God that we have in the Bible has actually chosen to, the one at the beginning of it all has chosen to reveal himself to us. He said, I want you to know who I am. So you're not just trying to scratch your head and figure out where did this all start. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also interesting. It's like that paragraph is not all that God is. He is so much more in character. That's not, you know, righteousness, love, mercy. That's all not there, yeah. That, I mean, that was nice of them to make at least one of the slides. All right. Let's go to Colossians chapter. Yes, Donna. This is, this is awesome. You guys are answering that third question I try to get Sorry. to with this. Why does it matter? No, that's, I'm, I'm, I don't have to have a strict schedule here. <laughs> but let's do look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. Now, we haven't gotten to the question in our catechism that talks about the Trinity, right? We'll get there. God is one God in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. Co-equal together. We're going to get to that. This passage is talking about Jesus. All right? If it's talking about Jesus, then it can be talking about God. It is talking about God. So I'm actually going to start at verse 15. He here is Jesus. Um, We're just not going to read the whole chapter. Right before that, you would have figured that out. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or Fauci or all things were created. Here's the phrase that that, um, Pastor Matt was bringing out. All things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That chair you're sitting on, those screws pull in there, not simply because the gripping, those atoms in there have to keep working so that the, all that holds together. That means Jesus is doing that right now, actively, always. That's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> um, That right there shows us that he's creator and sustainer. We get that from the Bible right here. Just one example. 
I put on your handout Psalm 104 as well. I'm not going to go through that whole chapter, but if you wanted something to nourish your soul all week, just kind of keep reading Psalm 104. You're going to see there he's the creator and he's the sustainer, and it lists like several different animals that he continues to feed and make sure that they exist or stop existing. He's the sustainer, which means he decides when we're to stop being sustained. Okay, um, go over a few more pages to the right to Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 3. It's hard to um, pick out favorite verses, but sometimes I this might be one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible here. Hebrews 1, 3. And this is getting at, okay, we, the Bible shows us these creator and sustainer, but this everyone and everything phrase, where does that really come in? The other verse kind of had that there too, but look at this. Jesus again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. How? By the word of his power. Go ahead and just stop there. I mean... Jesus constantly is speaking. I, I, uh, Charity mentioned Johnny. Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a quadriplegic. She wrote this really great book on suffering called When God Weeps. And in there she has this description of Jesus laying on the ground, having a, a centurion or a Roman soldier hammering a nail into his hand. And she said at that very moment, while the centurion is hammering into his hand, the one he's hammering into is continually causing that man's heart to beat. Yeah, that's a whoa! <laughs> My mind just like explodes because it has to be true. Jesus, while he was on this earth, did not stop doing those things. Otherwise, it would have all exploded, right? So that's pretty, pretty, pretty freaking awesome. Sorry, I just said that on the recording. <laughs> eternal and infinite. Okay, so eternal and infinite. If you go to Psalm 90, verse 2, I'm going to turn there. This is probably why you'd want to use, unless you go back to Bible drill days, you've got to go turn fast because I'm always going to have lots of scriptures here. Maybe your electronic ones will be faster than me. This is the one psalm we have that's attributed to Moses. Verse 1 and 2, Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is the God that this sentence here describes that we worship, that we call our Father. Um, 1 Kings 8, 27. We're just walking through, okay, where did we get this, this catechism answer from? We didn't make it up. It's just pulling together what the Bible teaches. 1 Kings eight twenty seven. this is Solomon's prayer when he finished building the temple and he dedicates it. Um, but will God indeed dwell on earth Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. That's just one verse. You can find God's infinity all through the Bible. But that right there is almost the most boldest statement we have in the Bible. 
that God cannot be contained. He's infinite. And by the way, if he's infinite, it's not just his being. Every character that you read about there and every character that's not listed there is also infinite. He's infinite in love. You can't measure his love. You cannot measure his power. You can't measure uh, his mercy. He's infinite. And his being fills, cannot be contained by heaven and earth. And then unchangeable. Um, we, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Okay, so let's all go to Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. And I just, I don't want to get into too deep into this nothing ever happens except through his will. Um, because we could plumb these depths for a long time. But I want you to see this because it's so encouraging. Take it at that. So Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. That'd be us idiots, right? (laughs) Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel. Now, that's not like C-O-U-N-C-I-L, like a group of people. It's counsel like my plans, my advice, what will happen. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east it's a reference to babylon the man of my counsel from a far country i have spoken and i will bring it to pass i have purposed and i will do it that's the god we serve that's the kind of god this this phrase say is nothing happens except through him and for him as we saw and by his will that, that's fantastic. All right, let's go to the last, the last question. Why does this matter? And I just want to give you a couple of points. And then we'll just open it up for a few other things that you guys see, because we've already hit on some of these. Why does this catechism question matter? First of all, we cannot make a God out of our own ideas. Um, now, we cannot fully comprehend God. We can't you know, get and understand him. And and please understand, that's not what we're trying to do. We can't fully get God. If we could, he wouldn't be a God worth getting. Um, But we at least have to have, as Pastor Matt drew attention, at least understand what he's revealed to us about himself so far, right? And some people, I used to think as a kid, I'd be bored in heaven. Like... I'm going to sit here playing this harp all day. (laughs) If this stuff blows your mind, we have an eternity to continue to unpack and see what an awesome God he is. You will not be bored in heaven. (laughs) Um, There are some other views of God that we may have. This is kind of what I think some of you are getting at. I think some of us view um, God as a domesticated genie. And what I mean by that is someone who's obligated to deliver um, based on how you behave. Like some genie who's obligated to fulfill your wishes. That's, that's I think, one way we tend to view God. 
um, or a distant ogre. Um, that Midler song from a distance. That's the kind of God that that's pictured there, right? That he's, he's just watching from a distance and, and you don't want to mess with that God either. I think some of us have that kind of view and, and sometimes in my bad moments, I may drift that way. Um, a spiritual psychotherapist, right? Um, God's there just to help you feel better. I think that's a lot of what our culture is. If you're turning to spirituality, that's where that's at, you know? Or even a cosmic Santa Claus or like a nice grandpa that doesn't look and see your sin. He just does what's nice for you. But here's the thing. Having a God that's bigger than ourselves and bigger than the problems in our world gives us what Donna said. Gives us hope. Gives us confidence. This kind of thing right here gives me confidence in the kind of God that we worship. Um, So why else does this matter? Like, just looking at this, Donna, go ahead and tell me, why does this matter? Uh, I, I think of, uh, you have to make it personal. First Thessalonians 5, 18 says, and the key word is everything. And everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You have to make it personal. You have to go like everything, bad things, good things, happy things, sad things. Yeah. Everything. It's painful. As painful as that is, yes, that's... Yes. Did I have a hand over here? Okay. Matt. Um, on that same note, that's why it's good to have this eternal, infinite, and changeable, the goodness part. The power, if you didn't have the goodness, would be frightening. Mm. Right? The goodness without the power would be pointless. But because he's both, that's that hope. He's, yeah. And because we're not him... If things aren't looking good, that's because we're not seeing it right. Because he's also infinite in his wisdom. He knows. He really knows what actually is good. Yeah. Charity. I love that, what God has done here. Because when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus coming and saying, if you want to know who my father is, see me. And so we have this God that has no beginning or end. That's huge and yet he gives to us a vision of himself in a in a in a man that sits and plays with little ones that we can relate to but i think the important thing is not to camp in one place or the other because we that's where you get that you know psychotherapy and and you know we you have to take jesus this personable eating with sinners but you have to remember that he's the picture of a god that has never had a beginning and in our lives should reflect um, a, a search for holiness and, and reverence and awe that that's reflective of that kind of God yeah yeah you know like that's big that is that's power it's mm-hmm. Audrey I think also that that last attribute about truth God is the one who determines what truth is, especially in our culture, where you know every YouTube, other YouTube video is all about the God in a, of our own imagination that approves this, doesn't disapprove of that, or even to you know degrees and what is truth anyway. That He is truth and is the final standard of what is true. That's kind of another catechism that. But still, that 
Um, that's a that's a quality that I think is very important to define from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Josh. But we do. We do, don't we? And this is why we do this, though, to remind ourselves, okay, I can ask him these questions. I can throw those at him, and he's strong enough to handle it, right? 